Welcome, everyone, to DEI After Five, the show that focuses on topics across diversity, equity, and inclusion with some of the brightest minds in the industry. Here's your hostess, inclusive culture curator and coach, Sasha Thompson. Hey everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of DEI After Five. Now, if you have worked with me or if you have followed me for any time, you know that I am a huge champion for DEI being all inclusive, right? It's not just about your employees, but it's also about who you reach outside of your organization, your clients, your customers, the community, the environment around you. And so today we are going to talk about this DEI 2.0, this next level of diversity and inclusion, because this is where organizations really need to be honing in on. And so my guest today is Jessica Bantam. Jessica, welcome to the show. Thank you, Sasha. Great to be here. So for those that may not know who you are or what you do, can you give us a little bit of insight into Jessica? Sure, sure. So I am a diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging consultant, and also an interior design consultant. Um, and I recently merged those two backgrounds in my book, Design for Identity, uh, which really explores the importance of having conversations about cultural identity in the design process, both with customers and among design teams. I love it. I am a huge, what I call like uh, HGTV, like geek. So I'm like, I love design, but I know my limitations and I'm going to stick over here. So <laughs> leave that. <laughs> leave that for you. So, you know, how did you decide to merge these two together, right? Because when we think about, at least when I think about design and I think about it in the corporate setting, right? I'm I'm really thinking about like product design or, you know, things that are more in that space for um, our customers, right? When I think about interior design, I think about my home. I think about you know, or places and spaces, right, that, that you're creating. And so as a DEI consultant doing this work, how did you merge those together? What does that look like? Yeah, it's interesting. So I, I have a background specifically in interior design, uh, but I've had exposure to other uh, disciplines of design throughout my career, um, including product design, as you mentioned, by being in the design thinking space. Um, as well as graphic design and my work um, doing marketing and communications. Um, so it's always been part of what I do, even though the, you know my, my career path has been split essentially on, along these two paths, one being management consulting um, and the other being an interior design consulting. Um, but in, in, my, in the evolution of my management consulting career, I pivoted to DEI uh, around 2019. And it was interesting because the more that I dug into DEI and what it means and its implications, it made me look at design differently. Mm. Um, I started really thinking about how we didn't intentionally address identity um, in design education. And we weren't taught to do that either in the practice of design. Um, and when you look at something as intimate as interior design, where, you know, just like you're, you're, you're um, engaging with customers in their homes, if you're a residential designer, um, or even out, outside of residential design, you are designing around and for people. 
Yeah. Um, so to avoid identity just didn't seem to make sense. And I, I honestly, I don't know what took it so long for me to kind of make that connection myself. But like I said, it was that, that, um, intense dive into DEI that really made me start reevaluating the design process itself and what we were doing and what outcomes we were, we were creating. So give me some examples of what that would look like, um, kind of in real time, right? I, and again, I will leave it to you to determine kind of the space, but you know, what does that look like? Because I think for so many people, when they think of, at least when I think of, you know, being intentional about that design, um, certain images come to my mind about those spaces. Um, so talk to me ab about what that looks like. Yeah, and I'll share specifically in the context of interior design. Um, oftentimes what I have seen in terms of what was meant to be representative of culture mm. in spaces was often very cliche. Uh, there's been a lot of cultural appropriation in, in the, the um, context of interiors. Uh, because there are certain maybe motifs that come to mind, certain symbols, um, certain um, graphic patterns that designers, I think, think represent mm. different cultural backgrounds or different notions of culture. Um, and often that reads as very performative and it completely falls flat with the people that they are supposedly intending to honor or represent. Um, so that is, you know, just seeing that happen in many spaces, and I'm sure some of us can actually visualize some of those spaces and instances on our own from our own past experience, um, especially in workplaces when it comes time for cultural observances, um, just in many, many places. Um, so that is something that we need to be able to address. Um, and it's something that even I, as an interior designer, have started addressing more deliberately with my own customers. Um, I've started asking them the question, what about your identity? Would you like to see celebrated in this space? Mm. And I, it's funny because I think it kind of takes them off guard at first because this isn't a normal design conversation. For a lot mm -hmm. of us, it's not a normal conversation period for a stranger to ask us about what's relevant to us about our cultural identity. Um, but it also just opens the doors for such meaningful connection and conversation. Um, and it gives... I know in those instances, it gave me as a designer some um, some really critical insight to really customize the space and really make it someplace that the, the homeowners really felt like um, represented them. And, and to do that in ways that really resonated and honored the identities that they, they chose to share. Absolutely. You know, the coach in me, when you asked that question, you know, what about your identity do you want to celebrate in this space? I had to write it down because that's a powerful question because it really forces people to think authentically um it connects emotionally you know like how do you want to celebrate your identity here and what does that look like um and it's so it can be very challenging because so many people may have not really thought about what that looks like authentically you know, the flip side of that is, you know, as you were talking, I kind of chuckled because it, when you said, you know, the cultural celebrations and it's the the throwing up of the kente cloth on everything in February, right? right. And I'm just like, really? <laughs> like, <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> Come on now. We, we, we can do more than that. We can um, do more. <laughs> 
we can do, but that's what it is, right? It's it's making sure that it's authentic. It's making sure, you know, that, um, you know, again, mud cloth, that's another one that comes up quite a bit where it's like, oh yeah, let's just throw that up there. And for some people, there's no, absolutely no connection to it or the design or anything. Um, and so I think that what you've said is so powerful because it, it pulls in that authenticity. It pulls in what is true to you. Right, right. And and I'm sure we're about to see it again with Juneteenth coming up. And that's actually what I reference in my book. That was another trigger for writing the book in the first place, um, seeing how Juneteenth was first, I guess, um, observed on a national level uh, back in 2021 and seeing products um, from stores that had sayings like, it's the culture for me. Oh, yes. It's the, it's the freedom for me. Um, what? And, you know, to have themed ice cream flavors for Juneteenth. Is that what we're really doing? Um, so, you know. These- I did a whole show, show on that. A whole <laughs> show. Yes. Right. And we, we have to address these things because what I think is often happening is these concepts are being developed in a bubble, usually with a very... Um, homogenous group of designers, which is to be expected. I mean, you look at design disciplines as a whole, they're overall like 90% white, which is another reason I felt that this book was necessary and also why we need to start the conversation in design education, uh, because we're not, we're not engaging, we're not even acknowledging the impacts of what that proportion means in terms of what we're creating. I mean, if you look at that, design is inherently performative because there's no way that the profession is mirroring the the identities of the people that we are serving. Absolutely. You know, and it's it's so powerful again because the the word authenticity just keeps coming up for me and not checking boxes, right? Let's not just throw this up here and say, yep, we checked the box. We've we've represented for Juneteenth or for Black History Month or even Asian Pacific, uh, you know, Islander Month. Like whatever the month or the occasion is, my question always is, how do you continue this after these 30 days, right? How do you continue this so that it's authentic, but then now it's a part of the the cultural fabric of the organization. It's not something that's coming across as performative because it's part of the everyday design, right? It's being intentional about what these spaces look like every single day where people feel represented regardless of their identity. Exactly. And that authenticity is key. That's actually part of the the subtitle of my book is how to design authentically for a diverse world. Uh, And the the intention of the Design for Identity Blueprint, which I introduce in the book, uh, which is essentially just an evolved version of the standard design process, um, it incorporates questions to ask customers throughout the design process. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, you you don't wait until you have a 90% complete product at the end and then call in a focus group um, yes. and act like, <laughs> you know, even act like you're going to be able to make changes at that point or that you're willing to. Um, it's right. about starting the conversation from the very beginning and then also intentionally creating opportunities throughout the process to go back and validate and for designers to be willing to pivot if they've gotten things wrong or they just haven't gotten things, you know, exactly right. Um, and just having that willingness to also have conversations among our design team to say, do we have the right people in the room on our side? 
um, to be engaging in an authentic way with these customers to make sure that we are honoring them um, in, in this process and also in the final solution. Yeah. You know, this reminds me so much um, when I was leading a team of doing inclusion marketing and we would have to do events, you know, exactly what you said is like, do we have the right people at the table? And if we don't, do we have access to those voices that aren't at the table so that we can kind of pass this through as we're going through the process, right? Not at the, the end where we're like, hey, here's the event. Tell me what you think. And we've already built it. Exactly. You know? And so that forced us to th rethink, you know, even the types of tables and chairs that we had in a space, um, you know, making sure that we, we can do things that wheelchairs could easily access, right? So ramps were a part of that whole design of the, the event, right? That particular space. Um, and so what I think is, is critical in this you know, Jessica, and it goes back to what you're saying. When you talk about like design, it's not just interior or event. Like it's all of the things that we design. It's all of those um, tangible, almost an intangible, you know, places and spaces that ask for um, inclusion, right? That ask for us to be intentional in who is the audience and who could be missing out when we present it in this particular way. Exactly. And it just, the concepts apply across any discipline in any profession. Uh, you know, you mentioned coaching. Um, I have a, uh, a coaching colleague who read my book and now she has incorporated a question into her discovery calls uh, asking clients, is there anything about your identity you think I should know as your coach to make mm -hmm. sure that we, you know, that uh, this, this experience um, is meaningful to you. Um, and this could apply in the, the context of any kind of design, experience design. You book, I've, I've spoken with HR professionals and they are essentially um, the crafters of an experience, the employee experience. Yeah. This concept applies there. You have to really be aware of the identities of the people that you are serving to make sure that you are honoring them in the process. And Absolutely. I mean, this could apply to education, could apply to consulting. I, you know, as I mentioned, I've been a consultant for, you know, for years. And there have been many instances where if we had just had an honest conversation <laughs> um, and put everything on the table about identities with the customers. And then also, like you mentioned, if we have, if we had been willing to go outside of our initial design, our design team or our project team and say, maybe in this instance, we just need to ask somebody else for their perspectives. Um, we just need to be open to having that conversation and not figuring feeling like we have to figure it out on our own and that right. we, as the designers or the owners of this process, uh, we have to figure it all out and have all the answers. There is plenty of people around us. That's one of the benefits of having, especially working in a, a diverse organization. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I would even caveat that even if you're not in a diverse organization, there are resources out there that can support you to create more inclusive workplaces and spaces, but that requires that cultural humility yes. and humbleness to say, we don't know. Um, yep. And we want to learn, but we'll give, this has been my phrase all day today, grace and space, right? We're going to give you the grace and the space to be able to do that. And so that I think is so essential as a part of this process too, because it's iterative. 
as well, right? You're going to constantly learn. You're going to constantly grow. No one's ever going to be a pure expert or get it 100% right every time, right? You're going to constantly have to evolve and shift and tweak and change. Um, the other thing that you said that I think is so important is, you know, sometimes we think about, okay, how do we design for the team that we have or, you know, the folks, our current customers, but how do you design for the folks that you don't even know about yet? Right. And so that's where that inclusion piece becomes so important because you may pull in more customers, more clients that didn't have access to you because it wasn't inclusive to them. And so how do you think about who's not at the table or who are we not considering in this process so that we can bring them in as well, too? And asking those questions is a competitive advantage Absolutely. for all organizations. And having that cultural competence, that that awareness of other identities and um, that willingness to be vulnerable, that willingness to say, I don't know, but then also coupled with um, that willingness to explore, that willingness to access all of the information that's available to us. That's one thing. Nobody can say that there's not information out there right now. We can get to anything about everything. Right. Um, so just being willing to lean into that and also taking to take that a step further, being willing to believe what we find and not feeling that we we need to edit it to make us comfortable or to make it make sense to us as individuals. Mm -hmm. um, we have to be willing to embrace the realities of different people and their lifestyles. Even if it makes us uncomfortable. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> yes. All of that. All of that. <laughs> so, you know, what you're talking about is really a, a design philosophy. Like how do you create a, a philosophy on inclusion in the work that you do? Um, so what are, and not to give away all the secrets and sauce in the book, but, you know, what are some ways, like one or two questions that organizations can ask themselves or think about as they're creating this design philosophy for themselves? Well, that's a really great question. And there's actually, um, there are two exercises in the last chapter of the book that give uh, individual designers an opportunity to reflect on these things, as well as design leaders um, and what they want their, their firm's philosophy to be about inclusion. Um, and one thing that I ask is, what do you want your legacy to be as a, as a designer? Mm. Um, I, I think there's a lot of good intention in the world. And I think that since the summer of 2020 and the murder of George Floyd, which, uh, you know, it triggered so much for so many people. Uh, I think the intention is there, but we're not all going about things to make an impact. We're not all taking the action to make in real impact for people who have historically been excluded. But adopting these culturally competent design practices is a way to do that. It is a way to move the mark. It is a way to honor identity. It is a way to include in a way that is meaningful to the people that you are looking to include. Um, so that would be one question is, you know, like I said, what do you want your legacy to be as a designer? Um, and then also to evaluate maybe what makes you resistant to exploring this, um, yeah. which I mean, and, and plenty of people could react to these questions in, you know, as many ways as there are individuals, <laughs> uh, because there are so many um, things that make up our experience, so many things that have informed our bias, um, so many layers of our own individual identities. 
And I think that people are often challenged when the subject of identity comes up because you can't talk about someone else's identity without reflecting on your own. Um, so there is a lot to, to reconcile and work through, but we have to do that in order to bring about, like I said, meaningful outcomes for people who have historically been excluded. Yes, that last part, that 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 hit me because, you know, one of the um, exercises that I, I do in one of the sessions <clears throat> is providing people with this the identity iceberg, right? And the question that I ask them is, well, the task that I provide them is pull five of those identities from the iceberg that are most important to you. Mm-hmm. And it's very interesting to for me to watch people struggle with that because they've never had to think about it. Right. Or they thought about, OK, this one or two identities, but these other ones. Like this is imp- this is who I am. This is how I operate in the world. And to face that. Right. You cannot. And that's exactly what you just said. You can't think about anybody else's identity and how to deal with that until you have done that work yourself. It's that internal work. And what are you grappling and struggling with or what are you um, denying of yourself? Very true. Very right. true. In that process. Yes. Because that's I, a whole story. It's a whole thing. Especially for people with lived experience, sometimes our frame of reference is only those things. So we, you know, race, ethnicity, gender, uh, sexual orientation are probably the major things that come to people's mind when we talk about cultural identity. But we are so much more than those things. And often for his, for people who have been marginalized, what margin, What has um, made us in that place of being marginalized about our identity is often the only thing we focus on ourselves yeah. or the things that we've been programmed to focus on, those labels that we have embodied and that we that have, you know, just kind of seared into our minds about who we are. And then, then we neglect everything else about what yeah. makes us us. Yeah. Or vice versa. Mm-hmm. We are so blinded by our privilege. Also true that we don't understand how those identities provide privileges to us. Exactly. Right? And so it's it's this interesting dance. And, you know, I often share, you know, yes, I am a Black female, right, which carries some challenges with it, but I'm also able-bodied. And so how do I lean into that privilege? And, and what am I not seeing because of that? Right? And so... It's it's those areas like the the our gaps mm-hmm. that we don't see, and so when we're thinking about design or we're thinking about inclusion and what that looks like, we have to look at our own gaps and things we take for granted, you know. And so it's it's all tied together. It's absolutely tied together. So Jessica, I'm going to ask you this question because I ask all of my guests this question. Um, what do you do to fill your cup? Like, what do you do to take care of yourself as you're doing this work? Well, I have to say, I have had to become a lot more intentional about paying attention to this. <laughs> so I'm glad you're asking the question. Because <laughs> uh, honestly, since I got into DEI work, it's I've had to be way more intentional about, mm-hmm. about this. Um, one of the things that actually helps fill me back up is um, connecting with other DEI practitioners. Um, I actually lead a monthly practitioner power hour 
the first Friday of every month um, and just create space for other DEI practitioners to get together for us to um, just share our experiences, but also to uplift each other and have this intentional opportunity to remind ourselves of why we're doing what we're doing. And being able to connect in that way is just, I can't even really put it into words. And it's been a great community. Um, and there have been great connections that have been formed in that space. And everybody knows you can just come and show up however you show up, wherever you are in that moment. That's just where you are. If it's yeah. too much for you to keep talking about it, skip it this month. That's fine. But we need that those spaces, um, especially when so many of us do this work um, either individually or in very small teams. It's Absolutely. just nice to have that space to connect. Absolutely. So where could folks find you if they are interested in getting the book, getting to know you, joining the community, like all the things, where can they find you? Well, the best place is my website, jessicabantam.com. Um, but I am also active on LinkedIn. Send me your press, every request. But I'll gladly accept. I'd love to connect there as well. Um, and I'm also on Instagram at Jessica Bantam. So those are the best places. Um, and yeah, and I, I genuinely look forward to connecting with people. I know some people are like, yeah, send me your quest. Uh, yeah, good to know you. <laughs> I really do. It, you know, I, I enjoy engaging. Um, I enjoy getting feedback. I enjoy learning from other people. So I, you know, not just giving this lip service. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I can attest to that. Jessica. <laughs> All right. Well, Jessica, thank you so much for joining us today. You know, I think you have provided us, I call them nuggets, like just so many nuggets of, of things to think about. Because again, when we are designing, regardless kind of the space, we have to be intentional. And I really think that if we're not incorporating DEI as a part of that, we're missing out because we're missing customers, we're missing clients, we're missing potential employees because we, we have to truly be inclusive um, and do so authentically. So thank you, thank you, thank you for all of your nuggets because again, I think this is where we need to go. These are the conversations we, we need to have in this space and it goes beyond just unconscious bias training. Like this is, well, I'm calling that 2.0, that next level um, of this work. So Jessica, thank you so much for, for being with us today. And everyone, thank you so much for joining this episode of DEI After Five. You can catch us every Tuesday at 5.15 p.m. on YouTube or your favorite podcast platform. Be sure to like, subscribe, share, do all of the things. And until next time, have a good one.